First uh, Corinthians two. Did I say that yet? First Corinthians two is where you're turning your Bible to. Make sure you got something to take notes with. It is good to see so many of you on Friday night. It really matters that you're here on Good Friday. This is a good decision for you to make, to insert this into your rhythm. I'm proud of you for being here at church tonight. That's good. We are going to um, continue the series that we've been doing on Sundays. If you're new with us, not a part of our church, you're going to jump in with us. We are doing a series uh, called Via Dolorosa as we are journeying down the way of suffering with Jesus towards his crucifixion. We've been spending the last several Sundays talking about Jesus's journey to the cross. And tonight we, com- we commemorate his crucifixion on the cross. So we're going to continue that journey tonight. I'm going to share a message with you, short message this evening, just simply titled, Christ and Christ Crucified. Christ and Christ Crucified. If you knew to take a note, just put that at the top of your page and you are well on your way to a great time in church. I had you open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word of God? First Corinthians 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith, somebody say my faith, faith. might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Hallelujah. Pray with me. Lord, we... Again, we turn our attention to you, and we thank you for this beautiful evening to be together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your crucifixion. We thank you for these weeks as we have journeyed with you on your way of suffering, the way we've seen you and met with you, and we pray that in the same way tonight we would see you on the cross and meet with you on the cross. Lord, we pray that we would know you and your crucifixion, that our faith might be built up and be strong and rest not in the wisdom of man or the feelings of ourselves or the culture of the moment, but in the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, <laughs> sorry, sometimes you see things up here and you can't hold it in. It's just, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul uh, wrote this letter, and he's writing it to the church in Corinth, hence the name of the letter, Corinthians, and it's 1 Corinthians because it was the first one, so you're practically a, a Bible scholar now. The church in Corinth, the, the, the people of the church in Corinth, they have received the gospel, praise the Lord, but... Their culture has overtaken much of their lives and much of even their Christian practice. So they are calling themselves Christians while abandoning much of the Christian life. Paul is writing this letter and pastoring them. He's trying to steer them back towards the gospel. And pretty much here as he opens the letter, he shows us that his first step in pastoring them is to remind them 
That when he came to them first to preach the gospel, to plant this church and establish them in the Lord, he came to them and established their salvation and established their church on the simple foundation of Christ and Christ crucified. We find out in other Paul's letters, he was wicked smart. He had all the pedigree that he needed, but he said, I decided to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. Because once I left, what was going to sustain you wasn't going to be you remembering how wicked smart I am, how good I looked. What was going to sustain you was simply Christ and Christ crucified. In Jesus and in his crucifixion, we have the foundation of our salvation and of our Christian life. To stay strong in our salvation and our Christian life and to continue to be built up in our faith, we must keep Jesus and his crucifixion as our foundation. If ourselves or our culture is leading us to build in a way that does not fit on the foundation of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified, we are to reject that. In our time, as in all times, our culture and ourselves are leading us to build our faith and build our lives in ways contrary to the foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. On this evening of Good Friday, when we come together in addition to our normal rhythms of gathering to commemorate Jesus' crucifixion, I think that this is a great time to very simply and very clearly outline for us and make clear for us what is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must honor the Lord by receiving the truth of the gospel of Jesus and Jesus crucified, and we must honor him by continuing and staying dedicated to the consistency of simply building our life on that foundation. What is the gospel? This is not something that is up to our opinion. If we're going to stay secure on the foundation of Christ and Christ crucified, we must hear from Jesus what is the good news. What is the foundation that we are building on? We must understand as the people of God that part of the good news is that God defines what the gospel is which means I don't have to, and neither do you. God defines what the gospel is. Cultural movements do not. The word of God tells you how to be a Christian. Cultural influencers do not. And we must stay strong in our faith and remind ourselves on this Good Friday, what is this gospel? What is this gospel that has been the foundation of our salvation and must continue to be if we are to build on it in a way that is faithful to the Lord and if we will build lives that will have something that lasts in the fire of the last days? Praise the Lord. I am jealous personally to be a man. I am jealous for us as a church that we would be shown faithful to Jesus in a world that is trying to distract us, trying to redefine us, for you and I to stand firm, we must do what Jesus said to do, which is to build our lives on his word so that we can be like a house built on the rock, not like one built on shifting sand. So tonight, 
On Good Friday, I just want to make sure that you hear and understand the gospel of your salvation according to God. I hope this is nothing new for you. I hope that it's all a reminder, and I hope that it builds up your faith. I want you to hear from God why Christ was crucified and why that matters. And I pray for you that as you hear it, you are strengthened in your faith and equipped to stand as a witness to Jesus in a world that is desperate to know him. The gospel, the word gospel, it means good news. The good news that we're talking about, the good news that we are built on, it starts in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. The Bible opens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Part of the good news is that in creation, God intended the union of the heavens and the earth. He intended the union of God and humanity. And he intended the union of humanity with humanity. That is good news. But there's also bad news. We only have to read till Genesis chapter 3 to find Adam and Eve's sin. And in Adam, we have all sinned. And personally, we have all sinned. And in sin, those three unions are broken. The union of the heavens and the earth, the union of God and humanity, and the union of humanity with humanity. What is sin? What is sin? Not a a popular question to ask and an even less popular question to answer. It's a question you are under pressure from the world you're living in to not answer. And I would encourage you not to answer it. But God should answer that, and he has. So that's good. What is sin? The Bible teaches us that sin is, it is rejecting or ignoring God in the world that he created. The Bible teaches us that it is rebelling against him by living without reference to him. Sin is not being or doing what he requires in his law. To put it simply, sin is living to build your own image instead of living to reflect God's image. When God created you, he said, let us make him in our own image. That's why you were made. That's the purpose of God for your life. And to sin is to not do that. To live to reflect your own image instead of reflecting God's image. That's what sin is. And the Bible tells us in 1 John 3, 4, that everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. That's what God says sin is. Psalm 14, 1 through 3 tells us that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. Their their deeds are vile. There is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Romans 3, 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Isaiah 53, 6, that we've been meditating on for these weeks together, says all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. You are living in a world that is trying to cherry pick what is sin and who the sinners are. But the Bible is very clear. We all have sinned. No one is righteous. 
Not even one person. And the Bible teaches us that sin has consequences. As we've said already, God's three intended unions in creation are broken. And now we must live in the aftermath of that. Sin marks our world in that way. And sin also marks each one of us. It marks us. Ephesians 2, in verse 1, it says that you are dead to sin. Or you are dead in sin. In verse 2, it says you are a son of disobedience. Verse 3 says you are a child of wrath. Romans 8 says you are a slave to sin. Romans 5 says you are an enemy of God in your sin. Sin is real. Sin has real consequences. There is a real penalty for sin. Romans 6 says that the wages of sin is death. Colossians 3 says that on account of our idolatry, on account of our sin, the wrath of God is coming. Our idolatry, on account of our idolatry, and you may be thinking, wait, hold on a second. I may be a lot of things, but I wouldn't quite say I'm an idolater. No statues in the house. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I, I, sure, I have the sin, but I don't know that I'm an idolater. The Bible teaches us that idolatry is simply trusting in created things rather than the creator for your hope and your happiness or for your significance and your security. Okay, fine, I'm an idolater. <laughs> Romans 1 tells us this, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they, came, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Who's having fun so far? <laughs> Talking about sin, kind of back in the day, it used to be a pretty acceptable thing to do, and actually a pretty expected thing to do, especially in church. Sin was something you, you talked about. That was part of it. Then, talking about sin kind of became awkward and definitely offensive. So we just don't talk about it. Let's not talk about sin at all. Where we find ourselves now, in our day and in our culture, is that it is acceptable and expected to talk about other people's sin, but it's awkward and offensive to suggest that you have any sin of your own. Your world and your flesh is telling you to reject any notion that you might have sin. By all means, point it out and shout about it and everybody else. But me? I'm just being myself. I'm, I'm just living my truth. I'm just... I'm just doing what makes me happy. What could possibly be wrong with that? But no, the good news includes the bad news. That no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, how you vote, or what you believe, you have sinned. You have rejected God. You deserve his wrath and his just judgment. And that isn't because God isn't good. 
or because God doesn't love you. It's because you have sinned. You have deserted the fountain of living water. And then sin offered you unlimited opportunity to hewn out broken cisterns for yourself. The price of doing that is death. And you clicked checkout now. You owe the wages of your sin. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you, even when you were dead in your trespasses, has lavished his grace on you. Yes, In an act of glorious grace, God both satisfies his justice and reconciles you to himself by a redeemer. The redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. The one redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternal son of God in whom God became man and bore your penalty on himself. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This, This redeemer, this redeemer of yours, the Lord Jesus Christ, was both fully man and fully God. He was fully man. He was fully man that in human nature, he might on your behalf perfectly obey the whole law and suffer the punishment for your sin for it. And as we've been talking about the last several weeks, he became man that he might sympathize with you in your weaknesses. Hebrews 2.17 says this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He was fully man and he was fully God, so that in his obedience and suffering, or so that his obedience and suffering would be perfect and effective and overcome death for you. The wages of your sin is death. So Christ, commemorated on this evening of Good Friday, died willingly in your place to deliver you from the power and penalty of your sin and bring you back to God. All of your sins can be forgiven. All of them. All of them. Even that one. All of them, all of your sins can be forgiven because Christ's death on the cross fully paid the penalty for your sin. You you can now be a temple of the Holy Spirit where heaven and earth intersect. You can now be adopted as a child of God, restoring God's relationship with humanity. You can now be baptized into the body of Christ where we become members of one another and the unity of humanity is restored by the grace of God. 
This is good news. The good news is that you are created to know God and to be his imager to the world. You have sinned and you have rebelled against him and made yourself an enemy of God. But in his mercy, he has given us his son, Jesus Christ, so that you will not be condemned, but rather be saved from the wrath that you deserve and be given eternal life. John 3, 16, Jesus tells us this, that for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the gospel. So, as the crowd asks in Acts chapter 2, you must ask, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And the answer is very clear. You don't need to hear it from anybody else. Get it from God. Repent and believe this good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repent. Repent doesn't just mean say I'm sorry. Repent doesn't just mean, okay, I'm going to start coming to church now. No, repent, repent means something. It means, to repent means that you, you receive the Holy Spirit's conviction instead of rejecting it or pushing it away. It means that then you have a contrite heart about the things that the Holy Spirit convicts you about. You surrender to the fact that if he's convicting you about something, he's right about it. He's right about it. Whether you like it or not, and most of the time you don't like it, let's be honest, I sure don't. So it means you receive his conviction. It means you have contrition over the thing that he convicts you about. And then it, it means that you allow that contrition to lead you to confession, that you would confess your sins to the Lord and to others that you might be healed and forgiven. And then, by the mercy of God, you change. You go and you sin no more. That's what it means to repent. Repent and believe the good news. And when you do this, God, not because of your great works, but because of his great grace, will give you the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Second Corinthians 5, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That's on the table for you. When you confess Jesus as Lord, and when you receive him by faith, you are justified before God. You are justified before God. You are declared righteous before God because of Christ's death and his resurrection. And when you confess Jesus as Lord and receive him by faith, you begin to be sanctified. 
You are justified and you begin to be sanctified, which means that you you begin your gradual growing in righteousness made possible by the Holy Spirit's work in your life. On this Good Friday, I exhort you and I encourage you, receive Christ and Christ crucified. Open up your whole self. Surrender your whole self and receive him. Do not build on any other foundation. Don't let anyone tell you anything different. On this Good Friday, be crucified with him. Be crucified with him. I encourage you this evening, don't just look at the cross and then walk away and say, oh, wow, look at what Jesus did. Over these last few weeks, you have seen him on Via Dolorosa. You have met with him on Via Dolorosa. Now see him on the cross and meet him on the cross. Be crucified with Christ. Be crucified with Christ. Do not live any longer. Let Christ live in you. Live this new life by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself for you. The culture you live in is trying to get you to reconcile yourself to the world by all of your good works. The gospel of Jesus Christ is God making his appeal to the world through you to be reconciled to him by his son. Good Friday is good. Good Friday is good because Jesus died so that sinful people like you and me could be restored to our created identity as imagers of God, that we might partner with him and glorify him in this life and for all of eternity. Anything or anyone who tries to add to that or take away from that or reject that is wrong. And you should not listen to them or follow them. As you live in this grace, Take heart, because Jesus knows what it is to fight for this grace. Jesus knows what it takes to stand in this grace. Jesus knows what it is to suffer for this grace. I know that sometimes the enemy seems so big, and the world seems so loud, and the flesh seems so strong. And when it does, come to the cross. Come to the cross and remember him. Think on him. Look on him. Be crucified with him so that your faith might be built up and not rest on the wisdom of man, the strength of your own personal courage, but that it would rest on the power of God made manifest on the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me as we take communion together? Jesus gave us his body and his blood on the cross. And in communion, we celebrate that he gave us his body and his blood through these elements. Jesus gives us the bread and he says, take this and remember me. This is my body broken for you. This is my body 
broken for you. Take it as, as often as you do and remember me. This is real. This really happened. This is for you and you can receive it. If you are a Christian here tonight, I want to ask you to take this and remember him. If you're not here tonight as a believer in Jesus, I would encourage you not to take this bread unless you're ready to take it. Unless you're ready to make this your confession, to receive the broken body of Jesus poured out for you. So for those of you who would confess and remember Jesus on this Good Friday, let's receive his body together. And he gave us his blood. And he said, this, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins and in a new covenant, restoring the unity of God and humanity with the price of his precious blood. If you would confess the blood of Jesus over your life, if you would receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ tonight, let's receive it together. We're gonna end our time worshiping together as we finish our evening on this Good Friday, remembering the beautiful, glorious grace of Jesus. Lord, with the clanging of the cups, we receive you. We receive you, Lord. We receive you. We thank you that it's as real as bread. It's as real as the cup. It's as real as clanging in the trash. We receive you tonight. We receive you tonight. And we remember you, Lord Jesus. We make you our confession. We commit our lives to Christ and Christ crucified. Lord, as we lift up your holy name in these last few minutes together, we're asking that you would come, Holy Spirit, and fill us that our faith might be built up. We're asking, Lord, that you would lead us and that we would turn from any way that we are resting on the wisdom of man and that we would fix our eyes on the cross and be built up by the power of God. And I'm praying, Lord, that we would be a people who see you on the cross and we receive this crucifixion and we take up our own. That we would deny ourselves daily and take up our cross and we would follow you, Lord Jesus. We're praying that we would be witnesses and ministers to the world testifying to Jesus, you making your appeal through us to the world, be reconciled to God by this glorious grace. We love you and we worship you tonight. Let's sing together, church.